go. We got a green light. That's a good thing. Well, it's good to see everyone this morning, and I pray the Lord has already blessed your day. Uh, as it is, we are enjoying uh, His relationship. And you know, it's funny. I I'm one of these guys that I'm going. Okay, who's going to show up? Who's going to show up? Who's not going to be here? Who's going to show up? And I. I can't help it. It's the uh, person that's in me that I don't want to be in here by myself. And uh, I thought Joe and Jamie might be gone uh, today. And, uh, of course, I have to remind myself that whenever we have people that are delayed, they are providentially hindered (laughs) more times than not. And so I'm looking forward to uh, just being in the house of the Lord, and I pray the Lord will bless today. Let's take our Bibles. Let's go over to Psalms chapter 119. We're going to go down to verse 161. I notice we're looking at Shin or Sin. Now, that's the letter that we see up on the board today. And uh, we're nearly done with the Hebrew alphabet. And uh, as we are finishing up the Hebrew alphabet, I think it's pretty interesting that we would have this particular letter uh, right at the very tail end of the uh, operation. But let's go ahead and let's read verses 161 down to 168. Princes have persecuted me without a cause, but my my heart standeth in all of thy word. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. Seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteous judgments. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Lord, I have hoped for thy salvation and done thy commandments. My soul hath kept thy testimonies, and I love them as exceedingly. I have kept thy precepts and thy testimonies, for all my ways are before thee. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Again, Father, we want to thank you for your blessings, and I pray that as we draw to the conclusion of this particular passage and uh, this particular chapter, of Psalms, I pray the Father that we will have learned and that we will be blessed because of the learning that we have. Lord, help us to apply all the different things that we have learned, and I pray the Father in the studies and the good that you bring in our lives, that we will never fail to rejoice for you are truly good to us. Now guide us, dear Father, and bless and keep, and may we rejoice in you. This day, help us to regain the study that you have for us, and lead and bless now in Christ we pray. Amen. Now I got some news for you. When it comes to study, I like studying first thing in the morning. The, the later the day goes on, uh, the more it feels like I don't get nearly the same thing as I do early morning studies. The same thing holds true whether I do devotions. Uh, I like doing them first thing in the morning when everything's fresh. And it may surprise you, but every day I wake up with a devotional thought. And uh, by the time I sit down and I type that devotional thought, it doesn't mean that it's the same thought I had to begin with. But the one thing I love about the structure of Scripture is that it keeps you on task. And when you look at something that is always kept on task, it really helps us to understand the things that are given there. Now, this letter that we're looking at today is a very unique-looking letter. Notice it's got three heads. And uh, in depending on the, uh, the writer or depending on the person that is scribing out this letter, you may also have four heads, and we're going to get into that as well. But as I thought about this, nothing that I could find would help me to see what was written in the Word 
as it pertains to this particular letter. So let me just give you a couple of things uh, that we see with this particular letter. First of all, we do see uh, the, the three heads that are together. And I don't know if you can see this or not, but all three points are at equal height. Now, I know it doesn't look like that because of the way that it is slanted backwards. Those are still three individual letters. You'll also notice in the book print, you can see that all three are at the top. And there is a dot, you know, with each one. The only one that we see that is different is the cursive. Whenever we see this letter shin or, or seen, and S-I-N is pronounced as seen in this case, it lets us know that this is a three-headed origin. God, the Godhead, if you will. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. When we get into the foreheads in just a little bit, I'll show you why I think it's so important for us to understand that as well. Now, understand that this is the very this is near the end of the alphabet of the Hebrew alphabet, which we have tau, which is going to end up being our last one. The value placement on this letter is 300, even though it carries 21. Now remember this, is that whenever we see 3, 3 will go into 21 7 times, 3 will go into 100, or 3 will go into 300 100 times. So there is an equivalence that is there with the value, and we're going to see what the value is as well. We must look at the position on the dot. Now if you'll notice, there is a dot that is to the extreme right, and having that dot to the extreme right means that this is pronounced as shin. All right. If the dot was to the extreme left, then it would be called seen. Meaning, it depends on, remember how that Jesus said, not one jot or tittle shall pass away, you know, you know from, the, from the scripture? Well, this is what this is referring to. Not one jot or one tittle, not one dot, not one tittle. And so, we don't really get into a lot of it, but how do we know that a word is pronounced the way it is? Like we have Yahweh. Yahweh is literally what we would see, Y-W-H-W, -W, Yahweh. And the reason that we see it in that way is because that's the way that it was, oh, I, I miswrote it, Y-H-W-H, -H, there it is, Yahweh. And the reason that we see it that way is because the, the, the main text will always be the consonant. But depending on the dots that are around, or the jots that are around it, will let us know what letters give it the sound. So we have A and E that are literally in the way of Yahweh to help us understand Y-A-H-W-E-Y, or W-E-H, Yahweh. So the thing that we see in the same application, this dot really does have its purpose. It will literally show up in every one of the Hebrew writings. That's how we know which way it's going to come into place. So if we see this, it helps us to understand the application. Now, we're going to get into Godhead just a little bit. Remember this is that we serve a God. And how many of you have ever seen the triangular God? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Well, even in the triangle, it kind of gives us the example that maybe God is, or God the Son is a little bit less than God the Father, or God the Holy Spirit is a little bit less than God the Father. In reality, God, the Godhead is equal. Let's turn, if you will, to the book of Ephesians, and I'll show you exactly what I'm talking about. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, and we're going to go down uh, to, well, let's go ahead and start at verse 1. Notice that 
Paul writes to us in regards to the scripture and the leading end of the scripture. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherein ye are called. Now, vocation means this is the work that you've been called into. You have been saved to perform the work that has been called of God. So with all lowliness and meekness, with all longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Notice that the very first one mentioned is the Spirit, not God the Father. Why do we have the unity of the Spirit? Because the unity of the Spirit is what has bound us together. We can go back in and to Galatians chapter 5 where we can see the deeds of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit. Once again, the things that the Spirit leads us into. So notice that the unity of the Spirit is, gives us the bond of peace. Notice the next one. There is one body and one Spirit. Once again, the elevating of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit. That does not mean we go about praying to the Spirit and, and I've, I've heard so many people do this in church. Oh, Holy Spirit, come down. No, wait a minute. If we are in the body, we don't have to pray. Now, I know that the Spirit is there. Not only that, who is it that dwells in me? He that dwells in me is greater than the one that is in this world. So the Spirit indwells me, and as well as the Spirit indwells in you. The work of the Spirit is ever around us. It is when we get into the flesh that we begin to see the troubles in the church. Unity is always spiritual. Disunity is never spiritual. Okay? So notice again that there is a peace that is there, and it is a body that has been assembled together by the work of the Spirit. You know, many years ago, and, and I remember I, I've talked to so many people about this, it always bothered me to see a church close. There's a little place, probably one of the ones that just reminds me of this all the time, is down in Burnside, Kentucky, where I pastored at. There was a little tiny church building that was out in the country, and it was boarded up. It was fenced around, and nobody was able to get into it. And I thought, how sad that this little church building is no longer in use. And it, whether we see that, that the church built elsewhere or whatever, but the sad part is, is that a lot of times, the church building was a reflection of the church that disbanded. In fact, the church that helped found this church, or was the sending church that established this church, Polar Baptist Church over in Ashland, no longer exists. When at one time they had a membership of 1,500. And, and we can question why they went away, why, what happened to them or whatever. We need to remember this, is that somehow disunity came into that church, and they no longer followed after the Lord God. Look at the second one, beginning in verse 5. One Lord. So we went from the Spirit, and now the significance is, again, the equal calling of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember this, is that Jesus made this statement in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, God the Father, that he gave his only begotten Son. Hold your place here. Let's go over to Hebrews chapter 1. And I want to show you again the importance of the, uh, the Lord in the place that he is given. Okay, so let's go ahead. Beginning in verse 1. God, who in sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past to the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by S, whom he hath appointed heir of the world's. 
3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and the upholding of all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Where this mankind the Lord gave all the indications God gave all the indications that we are his children but watch this thou art in Jesus Christ. Well, let's go back over here to Ephesians chapter 4. Notice again, one Lord, one the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that authored it, according to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. All right? One baptism. Who accepted John's baptism? That was the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ but God? to distribute it back to the church that he established. All right? Look at verse 6. One God in God's name and the unity thereof is in verse 6 in this chapter. If you go to like the Mormons or if you go to the Jehovah Witnesses or anything else, they'll cry out, Oh, we Don't you wish we had that kind of unity all the time? All right, look what else it says. God the Father. In Psalms chapter 119, where we are now looking at, the unity of the body is together in the one. Let's go ahead and go to the next slide, Brother John. I want to show this to you just for a moment. What's interesting about this next slide is that sometimes you will see the letter Shin written with four heads like this. Now, what's interesting is that going all the way back, I'll show this to you. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 10. Now, I didn't put all these verses down, so you're most welcome to write them down. 
on the paper that I've given you today. Alright, in Genesis chapter 10, you'll notice that there was already a division that occurred uh, with Shinar, if you will. Let's go on back down to verse 6. And the sons of Ham, Cush, Mizraim, and Put, and Canaan. And the sons of Cush, Seba, and Havilah, and Zabtah, and Ramah, and Sabachah, and the sons of Ramah, Sheban, and Dedan. And Cush begat Nimrod, he began to be a mighty one in the earth. Now, here's the thing that's interesting. Whenever you see the name Nimrod, you want to write it down and you want to figure out why Nimrod Watch what else we have. And he was a mighty hunter before the Sound like Jimmy Carter, if you ask me, but we'll leave it alone. And the Lord... city seat of what is there. Now, why do I bring all this up? Because you see, with beginning with Nimrod, if you will, came a false religion that still exists today. It's in four crowns. Now, let me tell you what that religion is. It has God, it has the Son, the resurrected Son, it also has a female God, and it also has an evil God. Believe it or not, Nimrod was the one God. Let me tell you what happened to Nimrod. He was butchered and literally cut into pieces, and he was literally, his body was scattered throughout the whole world. His wife went into hiding, and suddenly she came on the appearance and she said, I Her name was Semiramis. 
And Semiramis suddenly had a baby, and she said, it's the resurrection. It's in the Bible. I didn't, I didn't write these down. I will, if you want them, I can show you the reference to them. And finally, finally, there was a place for an evil God to look over top of them, and that is Satan. Do you realize that Satan wants to be a God and he wants every man and woman and child upon this earth to worship him as a God? Now, here's the thing. With the scattering of Nimrod, if you will, and the people upon the earth, that same thought went to every religious society upon the earth. The Hindus have it. The Japanese have that same religious uh, cult, if you will. In fact, if you go to German, they had Woden was the king. Thea, or the, you had Thor, which was the son. You had their female, which I don't know her name, don't care. And you had Loki. You had the same with the Greeks. You had the same with the Romans. It goes on and on and on. Why do we have all that? Because the multiplicity of the evil that began with Babel would now be distributed throughout the world. But God, in his rich mercies, called one individual, all the way in Genesis chapter 12, his name was Abraham, and he said, Get out! And so here Satan was literally causing this great effect upon the earth, and yet here came one little light to shine right in the beginning. Isn't that great? I mean, I just love that stuff. And so the reality is, the four remained for us to see. Do you realize that the four that we see is also shown us in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. We call that the four faces of Jesus Christ, or the four types. I wrote it down for you all to behold as well, and so when you take a look at the four faces, you also get to see a little bit of each one of them. One of the first ones that we see is the fact is that uh, we see how that Jesus Christ, let me see where I wrote that down. Where did I put that? Oh, here we go. It's on the back page there. It says, first of all, the four pictures of Christ. Matthew shows him as the promised Messiah. Mark shows him as the suffering servant. Luke shows us the Son of Man. And John shows us the Son of God. So as you open up the, the scriptures, you can read for yourself the four images that each one of the apostles or each one of the writers of the Gospels wanted us to see. And then, out of the, out of the ordinary, came another one that was going to rise up and tried to convince the world that he is Christ. Let me show this to you. Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. And in Revelation chapter 6, we again see the same exact application that's going to come into place. So let's go down, if you will, and notice that beginning after the rapture that we believe in, and that's going to happen in, in not too distant future, we see that it is the Lord that opens up a seal. Look at verse 1. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals and heard as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. All right? So the Lord opens the seal. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, 
And a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and a conqueror. Now, wait a minute. I've had people tell me, oh, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Really? So when the Lord came upon this earth, was he the conquering hero? No. Look at verse 2. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there was another horse that was red. And the power was given peace from the earth. Why is the beast taking peace from the earth? Have we ever thought about that? And so here they we see that. And they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And when he was opened the third seal, and I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And behold, there was a black sword. And he that seal, I heard the, four, the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, the pale horse. And his name that sent on him was Death. Is Jesus' name ever called Death? You see, there is a lot of imagery that is here. And so, here's even with the Jewish writers, they understood the great balance of every letter, how they saw that. There, the number four is amazing to me because whenever you see the number four throughout Scripture, it always shows me the power of Jesus Christ and it shows me the, the dedication of Jesus Christ. Everybody with me? Now, I wrote down some of the references where you can go back in and see 300 as it was used. For instance, Noah's Ark, the longest side was 300. Joseph gave Benjamin 300 pieces of silver. Only 300 men fought with Gideon. And we could go on and on. But 300 always signifies approval. And that's why, as I began to read over here in Psalms chapter 160, 119, from the beginning of 161, I begin to see a little bit more about the value of the Word of God. We are living in a day and in a time and in an age where we no longer have any respect for the things of God. Now, I've been blessed. I want to share something with the the church. Uh, I went to the doctor the other day, you know, for my initial consultation, and sitting before me was this one doctor, a young lady who had just arrived in this area. And as I sat down and I talked with this doctor, uh, I noticed that she was from India, and we began to talk. And as we began to talk, I asked her one question. I said, well, uh, have you found a church in this area? Amazingly, she said, I'm a young Christian, and I've been looking for a church in this area. Oh, man, I'm a giddy man. I was ready to get with it. And I told her about us. And then what was amazing is from that point on, I was less concerned about my medical condition as this child of God. And at the very end, I said, would you like to pray? And she joined with me in prayer. Now that's my kind of visit. Don't you like? So from now on, she's going to be doctor, sister, doctor, visit. Okay? So it's going to be one of those things that we're going to get to enjoy each other's company. But the sad part is, we're living in a time 
where we're hoping that we have more Christians will come into our shores and come to know Jesus Christ in a very real way. But instead, we see people coming in and they're contaminating. They're contaminating. Now, I don't care if you celebrate the holiday or not, the one that we are now in the midst of, but it is said that most of the holiday, well, first of all, is about winter time. We haven't even hit winter yet. We, we, we talk about that all the time, saying, is, well, you know, why don't we sing this song during the winter time? Because we have designated it, its only purpose is Christmas time. But I wonder how many people have forsaken the wonder of Christ. So I can, I mean, I understand my own atrocities. I understand my own challenges. I understand my own sins. But I am redeemed. I am redeemed. And I get to enjoy the redemption of Christ by reading his word every day. Another challenge. I wrote something the other day and I never know who's going to read my blogs. Never know. I had someone say, take my blog and send it off to somebody else and said, what do you think? I went, wow. And I looked to what the man wrote and in response the answer was, all I know is we have to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I went, wow. People are reading. People are watching. And people know who we are. But do we have the same recourse? Look what it says, beginning once again in verse 161. Princes have persecuted me without a cause, but my heart standeth in all thy word. Here is David, and he wants to be the man of God that he can, the best man of God he possibly can be. We have this wonderful attribute in which we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, and yet we have the physical inabilities to be perfect because we have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the desire of the heart. Are we not? And I notice that because of my inabilities, I cannot. And David is looking and he goes, I have all of these people that are against me. Princes! I have people that hate me. Why do they hate me? The first reason is, is because I hold to the Word of God. We should never be disappointed to speak the Word of God to somebody else. Never be disappointed. And if we have the opportunity to share the word of God, isn't the way it, that it should be? 162. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. In other words, when we, when we have entered in, man, is there not a greater treasure than right here? I look at it this way. I, you know, someone asked me one time, would I like to be a millionaire? Well, if you want to give me a million bucks, I guarantee I'll help you with it. You pay the taxes, we'll both be happy. But what will all the money in the world provide me if I don't have Jesus Christ as my Savior? One of the great testimonies that was shared with me regards my dad and how that he was washing his van and somebody came up to dad 
and ask him what he was thinking about. In other words, this guy was literally out there to see if he could invite Dad to church. And Dad said to this young man, I'm thinking about going home to be with my Lord. Now me, I would pull my sword out immediately, and I would have already been ready to take this task. But this young man said, really? Tell me more. And, G and my dad sat down on the porch and told him about Jesus Christ and shared with him the gospel of Christ. Afterwards, that young man said to dad, I came here to invite you to come be with me, but I think I'll go home to be with you. I don't know whatever happened to that young man. But the one thing that I, I know and I very much realize is that the joy that is in this man's heart had to be because of what my dad said to him. There is treasure in sharing with others Jesus Christ. When dad passed away, I remember the funeral home coming up to us and saying, we really need to close, but there's still a great big line outside. The greatest honor that was shown to my dad was the number of people that came during the visitation was there. You all, if you knew my dad, you understand that. But may I point this out to you? We are not going to take anything with us. We're going to stand before the Lord our God, either in his righteousness or our sinfulness. Now let that, be, let that sink in. We're either going to stand before Jesus Christ in his righteousness or our sinfulness. I had a young man one time was killed because he was electrified when the hull of the boat was electrified, had electricity on it. This young man was my, my son Jeremy's age, 15 at that time. When, we, when I finally made it to the lake where his mother was and his family, she came to me and she said, where is my son? I'm going to share something with you. A number of times that young man came to my office and said, tell me about Jesus. I want to be saved. Tell me about Jesus. I want to be saved. And his dad would stand in the doorway and say, well, maybe it's not his time. Maybe it's not his time. Maybe it's not his time. And then his son died. We know salvation belongs to the Lord and the Holy Spirit must bring the drawing and it must bring the conviction and it must bring everything to place. But I wanted to reach out and extend the right fist of fellowship to that man because he did not want me to witness to his son. I don't save, but I am a witness I am a persuader. Even the Apostle Paul said, I persuade men. Remember what he said to Agrippa? Thou believest, Agrippa. Agrippa said, I almost have been persuaded. And Paul said, I will not only persuade you, but all. You see, when that mother asked me, where is my son? My answer was, he is in the presence of God. And that's no lie. 
we will either be in Jesus' righteousness or our sinfulness. Let that sink in. holiness as long as the Lord is holy. As long as we are devoted to Him. As long as we're dedicated unto Him. And there is a great value in knowing Jesus Christ alone. Everybody get it? So we'll finish up here next week. We'll start at one, verse 163 and let us continue on. We're going to be dismissing in the final word of prayer, and then we'll get ready to start our morning service. Father, again, we want to thank you for your presence and for your blessings. Now, Lord, we pray that you will just lead us as we continue on into the services today. Guide, bless, direct, and keep now. In Jesus' name, amen. We're dismissed.